Mark chapter 4. I'm excited to jump back into our study in the book of Mark after we took a break there during the Christmas season. And I want to thank Caleb for filling in for me last week and continuing the series for us. This morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through verse 20. The text that we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks is a little bit of a change of pace for Mark's gospel. Compared to Matthew and Luke, Mark's gospel is more about what Jesus does, more about the ministry of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and it's less about what Jesus actually says. You'll notice that there's less of Jesus's teachings in the gospel of Mark. But as we step into our text this morning, we find that after many miracle signs and wonders that Jesus is going to be standing in a boat looking out at this multitude of crowd of people that have been following him and begin to teach. I mean, in Mark one thirty-eight, this is what Jesus said his purpose was. His purpose was to come to proclaim the good news of the gospel. To hear Jesus teach would have been quite the opportunity. I mean, aside from the actuality of hearing the literal words of God, Jesus' teaching was so fascinating because it wasn't didactic like the teachings of Paul or maybe even the teachings of your teachers in school, but rather as you read throughout the Gospels, what you'll find and what you'll see is that Jesus' teachings were not always cut and dry. The teachings of Jesus were not always laid on a silver platter or put on the bottom shelf and easily to be understood by everyone, but rather Jesus teaches through imagery. He teaches through pictures and allegory. He teaches through what we call parables. As a kid, I was taught that a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, it's a simple story which uses real everyday items, people, places, circumstances, and creatively crafts it together to teach us moral and spiritual truth. This morning we come face to face with the first parable in the Gospel of Mark. Some call it the parable of the sower. Some call it the parable of the seed. I like to call it the parable of the soils. In my opinion, this parable is one of the most difficult parables in all of Jesus's teachings. But it's one that is rich with truth and instruction And I believe it is one that is timely as we begin a new year, as we begin a fresh year. So this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20, but for sake of time, I'm just going to read verse 1 to 9 to your hearing. So join me in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, and again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some 
thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you again and thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we look at this challenging text this morning, that you would help us, that you would convict us, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord. Lord, I pray there's anybody here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that they would call upon your name, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would just give me the strength I need to preach. Lord, that you would give me clarity of thought, consistency of speech. Give me unction, Lord. Help me to say only what you have for me to say, Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. Standing in this boat and looking out at the crowd, Jesus begins by painting this picture of a farmer who was out in his field planting crops. A sower went to sow. Yet as we imagine a farmer planting his field, we need to cast our minds to the agricultural days of ancient Israel. Listen, the farmers during Jesus' day did not have large John Deere tractors, which pulled these planters behind them, which perfectly placed the seeds into these cultivated rows. But rather, the picture that is given here is a man that is walking through a field. He probably would have had like a leather pouch over his shoulder. And as he's walking through this field, he's reaching in handful by handful and grabbing seed out of his pouch. And he's sowing, he's tossing this seed indiscriminately, praying and hoping that it would fall on good soil. As you can imagine, such a primitive system of farming was not very efficient. Jesus says that as this farmer tossed his seed, as he sowed his seed, that some of it fell by the wayside, the beaten down, hard, compact ground that was often used for travel. And as this seed fell on the wayside, landing on this hard, dry ground, just like tossing bread onto the pavement, this seed became nothing but mere bird poop. He then says that some of the other seed fell on rocky soil. You know, in much of the Galilean area, which Jesus was familiar with, underneath of the shallow layer of soil is a layer of limestone rock. And because of that, when this seed fell into this soil it cultivated an area for it to be able to grow but because there was no death it was not able to establish this root system and there was no room for it to grow and 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 get the nutrients that it needed and because of that lack of death because of the lack of nutrients as this the seed sprouts up and the hot galilean sun comes out it scorches it and immediately it wilts away some of the other seed fell among thorns This soil was soft enough to receive the seed. It was deep enough for it to establish a root system, but it was unkept. So the seed fell into the soil and began to grow. The weeds and the thorns began to overcrowd it and choke it out, bringing death to this seed as well. But then Jesus said some of the other seed fell on Good ground. And falling on good ground, falling on fertile soil, having the nutrients, the death, and the room needed to grow, the seed blossomed and produced fruit. For those of us who are not familiar with this 
passage of Scripture, perhaps the question arises in your mind, what in the world is Jesus talking about? I mean, he's supposed to be this religious teacher. He's supposed to be a prophet. He's supposed to be the Messiah. And here he is trying to tell us how to farm. And the disciples and those that were around him had the exact same question. Jesus, what does this have to do with anything? Look at verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. The good news for them then and for us today is that we don't have to try to decipher or work our way around or wonder what exactly Jesus is trying to convey here because in verses 14 to verse 20, Jesus reveals to us exactly the truth that he is trying to teach. Jesus begins his explanation by revealing that the seed which is sown is the word. Look at verse 14. The sower sows the word. And Luke's account of the parable of the soils, Luke says it is the word of God. In Matthew it says it is the word of the kingdom. Listen, it's the good news of salvation. It is the good news that man in his sin is in need of a redeemer. And Jesus came to redeem man in his sin. The sower then is anyone who reveals and shares this good news. This then leaves us with the soil, which is the heart of man. It's man's heart. And as we look at these four different examples, I want you to recognize that the sower is the same. Listen, the seed is the same, yet the result is entirely different for each soil. That's why I say it is the parable of the soils, because the fruitfulness of the seed is not dependent on the sower. The fruitfulness of the seed is not dependent on the seed itself, but rather is dependent on the soil which receives it. In the parable of the soils, what we find is four different dispositions and heart responses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Jesus' explanation. Look at verse 15 with me. Verse 15 says, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. The first group of people here are those that are entirely callous and cold to the word of God. You know, during Jesus' days, it would have been the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elites that are looking at Jesus, his works and and his miracles and his teachings and telling him that he is possessed by a devil that entirely reject Jesus. It's those of, of whom, sadly, the word of God never makes any impact on their hearts, the dry ground. It's those who hear the good news of the gospel because of pride, because of cynicism, because of their own self-righteousness or a myriad of other reasons. The word of God never penetrates the hardened soil of their hearts. You know, and the thing about that is that Jesus says that their hardness allows Satan. Immediately, he said, he said, as soon as that word of God is sown on that hard heart, immediately Satan swoops in like a scavenger's bird and plucks that sown seed away so that they won't even think to question the response to the gospel. Luke, in his account of the parable of the sower, says in Luke eight twelve, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Listen, 
lest they should believe and be saved. Satan can't keep the gospel from saving. So he'll do all that he can to keep you from recognizing your need for a savior. The hardened heart. The first person's heart is hard, but the second person's heart is shallow. Look at verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Everybody in here has seen a wild mushroom before. At least I'm assuming everybody in here has seen a wild mushroom before, right? So, so wild mushrooms can grow in pretty much anything. All it takes is a thin layer of moss over top of a rock or on a tree in order for it to grow. I mean, it's quite fascinating. Living in Florida, I would, a couple of times, I, in the evening, went to cut my grass and cut my yard. I mean, I had it looking magazine good, right? Like, I'm talking about edge, even, bushes trimmed, and my yard looking good. I went to bed excited and proud of the way that my yard worked just to wake up in the morning and step on my front porch and find a yard full of mushrooms. <laughs> I mean, these mushrooms would literally sprout overnight. But what I quickly realized was because of the spontaneity of their growth, there was no deep root system that was established. I mean, you could literally go and just gently kick one of these mushrooms and it would fall over. Here we have the mushroom Christian, per se, who hears the gospel and is excited about it. I mean, their fire is contagious and evident. They're zealous about the word. And then just as quickly as they ignite, it seems that their flame burns out. And Jesus says that because their roots are shallow, when suffering for Christ arises, and it will, they quickly wilt away. This is the person in whom the gospel never truly took full root. This is the person who has a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but never allowed there to be a true heart transformation within. Listen, the person who believed but did not trust. It is the one who responds to the gospel with a superficial emotion and not a, a heart, a, a deep heart conviction. Brother Caleb said last week that all professors of Christ are not possessors of Christ. Jesus says when the sun comes up, they stumble. That word there in the Greek is to fall. It's the same word used to speak about apostatizing, which means to leave the faith that you once claimed. This is the person who hears about all that Jesus has to offer. All that Jesus can bring. I want health. I want wealth. I want prosperity. Yeah, I want a mansion in heaven. And they long for the gift more than they long for the giver. They want all that Christianity can offer them temporarily, community, fulfillment, but their faith is weak, their understanding is meager, and their, their decision is not sincere. The stony soil. Verse 18. 
Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things, enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The devil snatches the seed from hard hearts. The flesh produces a temporary response in shallow hearts. And the world smothers growth in crowded hearts. If you have ever tried to plant a garden or plant flowers, then you know just how dominant a weed can be. I mean, these weeds can quickly grow and crowd out your bed and take all of the nutrients from the seed which you have planted. They steal the spotlight, they absorb all the nutrients, all of the water, and they quickly tower over this seed you have planted and crowd out this seed, leading to death. And Jesus says, there are some who appear to have received the word, but what you quickly find is that they love the world more than they love the word. They love for the desires of the flesh more than the desires of the Spirit. Romans 12, Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, the transforming and renewing of your mind happens when there is a sincere trust that is placed in Christ alone. You know, and as you hear this, you may look at me and say, well, just because you love the world does not mean that you cannot love the word at the same time. I just want to remind you of the words of the Apostle John when he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen, you cannot live for the world and the riches and gains of this temporary earth and live for Christ simultaneously. First Timothy 6, 9 says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Listen, the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen, church, there are some who hear the good news of Christ but are unwilling to heed the call of Christ to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow him. This is the heart that is so concerned with the things of the world that they forsake the glory of the next. But then Jesus finishes and says, there is a good soil. Verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, listen, and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. There is a heart that is fertile. Listen, there is a heart that is productive. There is a heart that is fruitful, 
Listen, I wish I could stand up here and tell you exactly what goes into cultivating this kind of heart and to making this fertile soil and to preparing a heart that is ready to accept the word of God. And while I don't know every circumstance, there are a few things I can tell you. Listen, the heart that is good and prepared is one that the soil is soft. It is tender. It is receptive. It's not dry and hard. Listen, it is one where the soil is deep. It is a heart that not only believes, but it trusts. A heart that allows for the roots to grow and for faith to become strong. Listen, it is a heart where the good soil is cultivated, where there's a work being done actively removing thorns, actively removing weeds. It is not concerned with the affairs of this world. It is not concerned with the comforts of this world, but rather its heart is on Jesus only and only Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Within this passage, there's a lot of theological debate about who exactly is Jesus describing. In the first and fourth soil, it's clear. Jesus is speaking of an unbeliever and a believer. One who entirely rejects Christ and one who accepts Christ. But the second and third soil raise questions. See, because it appears the second and third soil seem to have received the word. I mean, it literally says in verse six, verse, let's see, verse five. No, verse four. Yeah, verse five. Some fell on stony ground, did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up. But because, that's the wrong verse, I'm sorry. <laughs> verse 16, there we go. When they hear the word, immediately they receive with gladness. There we go, I'm sorry, y'all. Right, so it, it seems that they have received the word, that they have profess this faith in Christ. Yet, what I want to suggest to you this morning, listen to me, what I want to suggest is that profession alone does not automatically merit genuine faith. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You know, I believe the dry soil, the shallow soil, and the crowded soil are all representative of the hearts of unbelievers while the good soil is the one that is the picture of the true believer and the reason that i come to this conclusion is because as you look at all four of these different soil types the one thing you will notice is that the good soil is the only one which produces fruit in matthew 7 jesus is teaching his followers how to discern between true believers, and false prophets. And Jesus says that the mark of a true believer is their fruit. Matthew 7, verse 17 says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Listen to this, church. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's harsh. These are the words of Christ. That the tree which does not bear good fruit is condemned. It's an image of of hell. They're cut down and thrown into the fire because there was never any good fruit produced in their life. You know, but then the question arises, what exactly is spiritual fruit? You know, some may think that spiritual fruit is that I'm 
always telling my friends about Christ. Some may think spiritual fruit is serving in the church. Some may think spiritual fruit is getting up and preaching, that it's what I do for Christ. But spiritual fruit is not the work that you do. Listen, although faith without works is dead, according to James, Jesus says there's going to be many on the day of judgment who say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do in your name? Did we not serve you? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name, Lord? Lord, we were at church faithfully. We, we did all these things, but Jesus in turn looks at them and says, depart from me. I never knew you. But rather, spiritual fruit is this outward change in action, in character, in one's life that is a result of the inward change of heart. So I'm going to give it to you simply. Spiritual fruit is Galatians 5. Spiritual fruit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to listen to me. I believe it is a grave mistake to believe that one can profess true faith in Christ and never tangibly reveal that their faith is true. For there never to be an actual true heart change where there is now this love in you, there is this joy in you, there is this kindness in you that was not there before Christ. You know, this should be convicting to us this morning as we recognize that mere head knowledge of Jesus that, that mere acceptance of Jesus, that mere approval of who Jesus is, is not enough, but rather it is a full heart's trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross that makes you a true believer, that makes you a Christian. And at the same time, this passage should strengthen the faith of the believer. Listen, while I recognize that Jesus is speaking in these three in this parable about the initial response to the gospel. He's talking about this is the way that people respond when the word of God, the the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to them. I also know because of my own sins, because of my own failures, because of my own flaws, that if we are not careful, believers also run the risk of having hard hearts. Listen, if we are not careful, believers also run the risk of having shallow hearts. We run the risk of having the wrong priorities from time to time. Just as much as these principles are true of accepting and belief, the received word of God for salvation, the same is true for hearing and accepting God's word to us in our continued sanctification as we grow in Christ-likeness. Good soil does not become good on its own. Left unattended, that once fertile soil can become barren. Listen, that once fertile soil can become rocky. That once fertile soil can become crowded. There's got to be a constant cultivating the hardness of our hearts to become Tender. There has to be a constant removal of the rocks and the impediments that cause our faith to become shallow, a constant pruning and pulling of the weeds that crowd out King Jesus from our lives. And while there's a challenge to us, in the words of Proverbs 4.23, to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life 
I also believe there's an encouragement in here for us so as not to lead the believer to beat themselves up too much. If you look at the end of verse 20, Jesus says they produce fruit, some 34, some 60, some 100. Listen, uh, most scholars agree that during Jesus' time, the average yield of a seed was seven and a half times of that seed. So the huge numbers that are reported here by Jesus, 30, 60, 100, show that the harvest, that the life change in a believer is abundant. But the scale also reminds us that all believers are not equally as productive. Listen, this is not an excuse for laziness. This is not to be viewed in a negative light. It's just the sheer reality that God has not called us all to be Billy Graham. He's not called us all to be Charles Spurgeon or Hudson Taylor. But for every genuine Christian, he has called all of us to be fruitful. So this is my challenge for you this morning. Examine your fruit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Listen, if you look back at the whole of your life and you don't see any tangible difference if you can look back and you can say i don't believe there's any newness in me from before i profess faith in christ to where i am now then you need to get that settled today but i think there's a lot of us here this morning that need to also examine our fruit you know, who can look back and say, you know, I'm not the person that I once was. God has done a work in my life. I know that I'm a true believer. But the tree that bore that fruit has not blossomed in a long time. And we need to be asking God, why? And begin to cultivate the soil of our heart to receive His Word. Every head bowed, eyes closed.